Hello and welcome to the Consider the Ravens podcast. I am Adam Ravenhill. And I'm Anna Ravenhill. It's really nice to have you here on our very Yay. first episode. On this podcast, we believe that discipleship happens and should happen within the context of the local church. Mm-hmm. But we also believe that the principal way that has been bolstered throughout church history has been through literature, whether that's fiction or non-fiction, from letters right up to massive four-volume tons of systematic theology. And we'll be looking at all of that, hopefully, over the next <laughs> however long, however long we do this podcast. Perfect. All our lives. All our lives. <laughs> until death do us part. Anyway, so as you can tell, this is our first um, episode. Actually, hopefully you can't tell. <laughs> yeah, no, <laughs> you this... definitely can't tell. Yeah, this is so professional. Right? <laughs> but this is our first episode and we just want to talk really quickly about what our aims and our expectations are. So what is our aim? This will be a weekly podcast that covers many themes and many books, hopefully. Some of those books will be books that are yet to release. We have a couple of podcast episodes already recorded that are interviews Ooh. with authors. We can't wait for you to, to hear those. Um, those may even be better than this episode, who knows? <laughs> um, but uh, we will then be looking at Reform Dogmatics by Herman Bovink, who is a Dutch theologian, and we're really looking forward to getting into that. We believe un- that unfortunately, when you start reading theology, you can read some really simple stuff and then you read another book that's more topical or something about marriage or signalness by maybe Keller or Chapman or something and then you read a bit more and a bit more and a bit more, keep going up that staircase and then there's a massive jump to reform dogmatics or some massive theology book and there's no real way to help people get there. So what we've decided to do is every four weeks we will talk about a chapter of reform dogmatics Mm -hmm. by Herman Bobbing, and then alongside that, we will provide a reader's guide with questions, chapter introductions, and glossaries to go through those words and those uh, little bits that are a bit more hard to understand. Yeah, basically, our hope really is just to help you guys read more. We both love reading so much. We do. (laughs) We do all the time. Um, And whether it's you've never read before, whether it's you used to read and now you've just kind of stopped and petered out a bit or whether actually you want to get really into it and read some of the really hard stuff we're here for you we want to help build the encouragement and the excitement to read again um so yeah that is what we're going to be talking about so what are we going to be talking about this week so next week we're going to be talking about fiction, and this week we're going to be talking about non-fiction of all kinds. Ooh, <laughs> <laughs> we both love fiction, and we both love non-fiction, but I probably love non-fiction a bit more. Yeah. You, you probably love fiction a bit more than mm-hmm. I do. But we want to talk about these two uh, mega-genres <laughs> before anything else, because we, we do want to talk about why they're both important, and especially, not, uh, especially Christian non-fiction is quite a mainstay of mm. of the literature we'll be looking at and so we'll be looking at a few books and how to read them and what to glean from them what we've learned from them as well and if you guys want to read them as well you can be like oh yeah i remember them saying this and i can remember what's the word i can um look out for this and that type of thing specific themes or, or 
quotes. So the first book we're going to be talking about is The Meaning of Marriage. Oh. <laughs> so why is this a book that you've chosen? Because we're married. No. <laughs> I, These are the only books we read. We're, we're only going to read books on No, in, in all honesty, I read this book when I was probably 15, 16. And it really sparked my love of theology. The Meaning of Marriage is obviously a book about marriage. And it does talk to uh, people who are married or are going to be married. People who are looking to get married one day. But it also looks at what marriage is within the context of the Bible. And what it reflects. Mm. Marriage in and of itself is a reflection of the one day wedding and marriage of Christ and the church. And so it talks about our marriage and what marriage is in the light of eternity. Mm. And that really struck me. And it was the first time I think I'd ever really read something like that. And so it's, yeah, it's always stuck with me. Mm. And what would you, um, what advice would you give people if they've not read a book like this before? I would say regardless of what your life stage is, whether you are, 18 you've been married to your your husband or wife for 60 years or whether you're 12 and <laughs> you, you've never read anything other than what you've been given at school uh, whether you're single or married or divorced or whatever it is I, I would read this book um, with fresh eyes this is great for everyone whether you are a beginner or a avid theologian it, it doesn't matter it's for everyone and is there something you'd say that particularly stood out to you that you thought, oh, never considered it like that before or has actually really stayed with you and you use in your everyday life? I, th I think the one thing uh, is, a, is a really practical thing that, uh, that Tim essentially, Tim Keller, who wrote the book, talks about how he, especially early on in his marriage, didn't give the time and attention that he, he possibly should have or definitely should have to his to his wife and to his family. Absolutely. Absolutely, yeah, 100%. <laughs> and I, I, I don't think I'd ever gotten, probably in my third or fourth reading of this book, how important it was to put my marriage first when maybe ministry or Christian life goals mm. and careers and whatnot stood in the fray whether I was going to make a decision to go out and serve helping the church with prayer meetings when actually you really needed me at home or um, yeah. things like that it's, it's it's a really hard decision to make but actually prioritizing my my marriage as much as that shouldn't be a hard decision I think in the culture of the church is first and service is everything it can be so hard to remember that actually you're allowed to put your marriage first and that is the right thing to do. And I think on a on a just a bigger scale, actually, um, I think a lot of Christians do just find it quite hard to say no. Mm. And I think often we can feel like, oh, we have to do everything, we have to serve everywhere, and it can be quite easy not to set boundaries and actually spread ourselves too thin. But also knowing actually there are places where we can say no, and especially within a marriage, it's a covenant before God. So actually, this is something we have to take really seriously to love the other person. I am, um, as you were speaking, it reminded me of um, a quote that um, A.W. Tozer's wife said, where uh, she was talking about how she said A.W. Tozer, her first husband, she knew 
that he loved God. Well, my second husband, I knew that he loved me. Mm. Um, and you can take what you want to take about that uh, with Tozer, but actually it's just a really good picture that actually as husbands, you need to... <laughs> I'm called to love my <laughs> yeah. wife. Yeah. <laughs> like Christ loved the church. Um, yeah, I, I think that's really encouraging. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, and I'm going to... Uh, I'm asking you all these questions um, about the meaning of marriage, but I also have read the book. <laughs> um, and I think it's really, really encouraging. I would definitely recommend it. I, uh, I've written out a quote that I really liked that I'm going to read out to you guys. You're going to learn very quickly. I love quotes, so I will be reading out a lot of them. But this quote here says, To be loved but not known is comforting but superficial. To be known but not loved is our greatest fear. But to be fully known and truly loved is, well, a lot like being loved by God. It is what we need more than anything. It liberates us from pretense, humbles us out of our self-righteousness, and fortifies us for any difficulty life can throw at us. That's amazing. Yeah, I think that's what really impacted me, actually, that marriage should reflect God, mm. and it should reflect Christ and the church. I think that's the main thing that's actually take, that I've taken away from that. The meaning of marriage is available anywhere <laughs> books are found. You probably find it secondhand. It's been out for many, many years, and I would go and pick it up if I were you. Mm. As I say, this is not just for married people or people who think they might be married. This is for everyone. I think they might be married, but not quite. No, no, no. They think they would like to get married one day. I got <laughs> married by Albert in Las Vegas, I'm but I'm not sure whether it's actually real. No, the, the, like we, we went to a wedding not long ago, and as part of that wedding... We think as in, they're married. And we think they're married. <laughs> no, as part of that wedding, one of the one of the vows was not made by the, the husband and wife. It was made by the congregation. Mm. We promised to help their marriage to be a part of it, to be it. in their lives. And and I think if we don't have a right understanding of what marriage is, even for those of us who are single, we won't be able to do that right. We won't be able to do that well. Mm. So. Yeah. So get the book and read it. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> Please. Book um, number two. Book number two is Humble Calvinism. Ooh. This Mm, this book came out um, quite a bit more recently. So before we actually start talking about the book, quickly, Hun, would you like to explain what is Calvinism before, in one sentence? Before I say what Calvinism is, I wrote an article yesterday on this topic. <laughs> it it would have come out a couple of days ago because I'll be editing this probably on Wednesday. It is my most well-performing article I have ever put out mm. and lost me 10% of my subscribers. Oh. I, I, I have no idea how that's possible, <laughs> but it was very odd. I would go, maybe I wouldn't encourage you to go and read it because you might unsubscribe, but it was uh, it was an odd, odd article, but I thought it was good. I, I, I was happy with it. The, the suspense. You... <laughs> the suspense, yeah. Um, so. What was your question? <laughs> In one sentence, how would you describe or explain even Calvinism? Mm. So Calvinism uh, states that we are sinners and cannot save ourselves. And by extension, it's by no merit of our own that God chooses to save us. Mm -hmm. We believe that God is has not come to save 
everyone. We're not universalists. And we also believe that those who are elect are given grace that's so irresistible as to be impossible to say no to. Mm -hmm. We also believe that if somebody is saved, that they will never give up the faith and that they cannot lose their faith. That good enough? <laughs> you know what? That was very good. That was that was one sentence. I'm impressed. Uh, just about. <laughs> <laughs> learn, you'll v learn very quickly. I'll ask Adam oh. to um, explain something in one or two sentences. <laughs> it's not my uh, natural state. Is it's it? My not. natural state is seven, seven or eight hundred sentences, right? But it's... for a half an hour podcast, it will be a few sentences. Oh no! So you've explained what Calvinism is, but humble Calvinism is um, a bit of a strange title, isn't it? Um, why have they called it humble Calvinism? Can you give a little bit of context behind it, especially for people who've actually never heard of Calvinism itself? If you've never heard of Calvinism before, or you've never met a Calvinist, then you might not understand that humble Calvinism possibly sounds a bit like an oxymoron. Unfortunately, Calvinists have the reputation, at least, of being quite obstinate mm -hmm. with their views. Um, it is it's kind of the case that those who come to understand the, the Calvinist doctrines, we call the doctrines of grace, are quite forward with those views mm -hmm. and possibly don't believe that other people who have other views could be saved. Now, we definitely believe that universalism is, is not correct theology and that there would be people who believe certain things who, who aren't saved but that's the same with anyone <laughs> essentially but with calvinists it can be more pronounced or at least it can seem more pronounced and so this book was written in response to the author's own past he's also saying look i <laughs> i was like this i've met people like this and i would really love you to understand that Calvinism, correctly understood, leads us to humility, not to pride. Mm. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, so, why this book? Why are we talking about it? Because this book is one of two books that have come out in the last 50 years that have impacted me more than any other books. Mm, bold statement. It is a bold statement. <laughs> you wrote that in your blog, and when I read it, I thought you said... Um, these are the two books that I've read in 50 years. And I was like, pretty sure he's not 50. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've been lying about my age yeah. all this time. <laughs> this is a, a big lie. Um, that's quite interesting. Though. Um, and why would you say, sorry, not quite interesting. That's very interesting. <laughs> why would you say that it has impacted you the most out of the 50 books that have been written? Be because... Genuinely, so I, I don't read a lot of books from the past century. <laughs> I think most of the stuff that I read is has been written prior to that. And probably out of pride, I've, yeah, I've, I've held newer books in, in disregard. And, and it took me a few books to, to really get out of that thinking to a certain extent. And unfortunately, my own pride has been a stumbling block for me. And this, this book really helped to break down some of that. I think the reality was that I held on to the doctrine of total gravity so tightly with both hands that 
I lost the ability to open up hands of grace to mm. others to whom the doctrine of total depravity also extends. <laughs> they are also sinners. Yeah, like, I think that's one of the things that I really loved about this book when I read it is actually um, Calvinism understood well should actually lead you to um, to love and to grace, not to pride, because like in the chapter when he talks about total depravity, actually we know that we are broken beyond repair it's mm. only by god's grace that we are saved and therefore it means that we can extend a hand out to others and we can give them sympathy when we know you know what i completely get it you have this repetitive sin that you cannot break and there are things in my life that i can't break without god's grace as well and so actually it shouldn't lead us to, to pride it should lead us to humility and love i really love that about this book as well um, and I think for me as well, it's it's all about actually what we want in this podcast is for you guys to be like, oh, I've never heard of this Calvinism. What on earth is this? Um, and so we want you to be like, oh, I've heard a little bit about it. I'm going to go off and research or I'm going to ask someone at my church or I'm going to buy this book and learn about it. And if you get to the end of this and you get to the end of talking to people and researching and you're like, Calvinism isn't the one for me. That's absolutely fine. All we want you to do is to dig deeper and to learn more about God. Because at the end of the day, whether you agree with Calvinism or not, what we want you to agree with is God's salvation and God's grace for others. Uh, and there's a quote that I really loved that I picked out that said, um, our salvation is not a certificate of acceptance. It is connected to Christ. It is an ongoing gift of faith. To be in Christ is to be saved. Now, this is a little bit of a change of topic from what we're talking about with humble covenant. But I know in my own life, uh, <laughs> when it came to Christian conferences and stuff like that, I used to go up to the front or do the sinner's prayer over and over again because I'd do the sinner's prayer or I'd go up to the front and then I'd be like, oh, a few weeks later, I'd be like, oh, I don't know if I am saved. Um, something like that. I, I'm, I'm sure there's actually probably quite a lot of people this as well thinking the same thing of doing the same thing and over and over again and I just wish someone had told me and been like actually no this is not a certificate that you get this is not uh, I don't know how to explain it it's an ongoing walk and it's an ongoing process with God where you just learn obedience and you learn to follow him and you learn to listen to his voice through reading the bible going to church I know fellow believers yeah, I've got a friend who who did a degree in computing, and what he said was actually, I've got the degree, and that's great, and I learned the things that are relevant now, but I will never be able to stop learning, because computing and all of the stuff that's entailed in that will continue to progress and move on and be different and be new, and I'm never going to be able to stop attaining the next level. And if I ever drop the ball, I will be out of the loop to the point where I can't come back. Mm. And I, I think a lot of people think that that is what salvation is like. If, if I drop the ball for a second, then I won't be saved. And that isn't being saved by faith or being saved by grace. That is being saved by your works. You are mm. doing things in order to get saved. And that's not what the Bible teaches. And so we need to understand that 
we are saved in and through Jesus Christ, and that it's his righteousness that is imputed to us. And yeah, it should give us confidence and joy, um, not fear. And so, lastly, what can you expect if you read this? I'm going to quickly answer my question. <laughs> the Wonderful. Question yeah, I that's answer. awesome. Um, I will quickly say, I did love the book. He is a very, very funny author. I was sitting on the sofa, giggling away as I read it. So if nothing else, you're going to absolutely enjoy it. He explains all the doctrine that might seem quite scary really simply so that anyone can understand it. And he often makes it quite funny. Mm. Is there anything else that you'll say to expect or anything to look out for while you're reading this? I would say if you are a convinced Calvinist, this is required reading for you. Ooh, I, I, this is some bold statements. I, I, I know I'm making a bold <laughs> statement, but you, I honestly think that this will, whether you are convinced that it should make you humble or you're not, I, I honestly think that this will help give uh, reason and smooth off some of your rough edges. And I, although I do think other people should read it, I, I want to make a call to any Calvinist out there. Read this book. It is so important. Oh, yes. I also just want to add on to that, that we all need humility more. <laughs> we all need to think of others more and ourselves less. Anyway, so the last one we're going to be talking about is Ignatius Letters. Very funky name, but who is Ignatius and why is he important? Ignatius was a bishop from the early church who was uh, martyred was taken away from his church uh, and along the way he had to send letters to other churches so that they didn't save him he wanted to make sure that they didn't get themselves caught up in the situation he was in and so he yeah he sent these letters out but he couldn't help himself from encouraging them as well he's about to go and die and he's saying look don't don't worry about me don't save me i know what i'm i know what the lot is that's set before me but also i love you guys and i love this about you and i want to encourage you in this and i've heard about this and i've heard about this person and he very much takes after paul in the way that he writes his letters to yeah to try and encourage these churches along the way yeah that's one thing i actually really noticed um when i read the letters that actually it has a very similar feel to uh new testament letters it actually kind of threw me a little bit when i first started reading them, and i was like wait am i reading the bible <laughs> <laughs> and i think potentially part of that is also cultural because i'd imagine they all wrote letters in a similar way but um yeah really encouraging i really enjoyed it uh and it's one of those one of those guys that to be fair unless you really know church history you probably wouldn't really know about just want to clarify when you say early church early christian you mean like second generation christian oh yeah yeah, so yeah. really early. well oh first, f first generation oh, christian really okay. uh, yeah no so yeah he okay. would have he yeah he would have known the apostles yeah oh, I, um, what a dream yeah no so <laughs> yeah ignatius is uh is a great hero of mine i i, I really feel like he encapsulates what what it means to give your life up for Christ, mm. to love him, to uh, put yourself last and and prefer others' needs. Mm. And yeah, I, I think he 
he must have been, although this is conjecture, I, I feel like he must have been an encouragement even to those who were imprisoning him. Mm. And and I think, yeah, he he was amazing. And these letters, along with other letters that are part of, and, and other writings that are a part of a book called The Apostolic Fathers, which is a collection of writings by members of the early church, leaders in the early church, are not scripture and shouldn't be taken as scripture. However, they are the closest documents we have to the time that scripture was being written. And so it can help us to understand that, as you're saying, it almost sounds like scripture. Oh, wow, this, this sounds like the kind of thing that, that Paul would say. Actually, we often hear in the world, especially from new atheists and whatnot, that Oh, well, the early church didn't believe the same things that the Bible is saying. They believed something totally different. And then later on, things changed. Well, you can read the letters. You can read the writings of the early church and find out that's not true. Yeah, I agree. And uh, just because, if nothing else, I need to be consistent. I wrote down a little quote from him as well. No. <laughs> and this is the thing that really stood out for me. You can imagine all my books just have underlines and notes and everything. <laughs> poor, poor, poor books. But yes, this is what he says. <laughs> but in any case, near the sword means near to God. With the beasts means with God. Only let it be in the name of Jesus Christ so that I may suffer together with him. I endure everything. Because he himself, who is a perfect human being, empowers me. And when I read that, I was absolutely struck by what a countercultural then and still now um, sentence it is to say, near the sword means near to God. Um, and actually, I think, yeah, really, really, really impacted me to think about actually even like the worst things in the world that we can think of means that actually this is an opportunity for me to drawn into God, whether that's literally physically with him um, being martyred or whether that's more, you know, spiritually with us going through a difficult time and being like, oh, you know what, I know this will bring me closer to God, this will make me rely on him and um, trust in him for my strength and my hope. So, last question, Hun. People, I'm assuming... Most people, I'd never heard of it. If you have, I'm very impressed with you. But um, a lot of people probably haven't heard of Ignatius. So what can they expect if they're reading this? Where should they start? What are some themes? Yeah, so some advice? I would encourage you to start with uh, just, just buy an Apostolic Father's book and open it up to Ignatius's letters. I think they are the most accessible of the writings in that book, only because I think if you are reading the Bible regularly, and especially if you've read Paul's epistles, they won't feel particularly foreign to you in the way that the Shepherd of Herm has not. I won't go into that right now, but it's very different. Um, <laughs> I, I think they are wildly encouraging, and yeah, I, I would just start reading, understand that what you're reading isn't scripture, and read it in the light of scripture, but also just be encouraged that actually, especially when we, we hear about persecution going on in the world today, in the, in the church, well, this has been happening since the beginning, and, and although that doesn't make it right, it, it does show us that we can, we can make it through this and, 
and that it's such an encouragement to those who are. Mm. Yeah. Jesus says, doesn't he, in this world you can expect trouble, but take heart that I've overcome it. Um, and actually, I think that's a really good point, what um, Adam says about actually we always need to uh, read books in light of the Bible. Uh, and I think especially with this episode as the first one, we're going to hopefully repeat this a lot over all the other episodes. But whatever you're reading, read it in the light of the scripture, because scripture is where we base our viewpoints and our worldviews on. And so if you read a book or listen to a podcast, including us, we, we're right, we're speaking these podcasts in humility, knowing that we're going to get things wrong. We're going to say things wrong, but we want to do it as much as we can for God's glory. But whether we say stuff or whether there's another book you say, we, another book we recommend or that you read, actually it needs to be in the light of the scripture. And what we want to do is encourage you to read more, get into the scripture more, know God more. Um, so yeah. Totally disagree. This podcast is infallible. <laughs> you must take every word as if it's comfort. No, of course oh my not. Goodness. I uh, no, couldn't disagree more. I'm going to kick I you Couldn't up. agree more. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I was stuck in my joke. No, I, I recorded a podcast this morning and interview. Um, yeah, in that we were talking about how books are good, scripture's better. Oh, I love it. That's some spoilers for later on. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> to conclude. It was The Meaning of Marriage, Humble Calvinism, and Ignatius Letters. They'll all be on the, what's it called? Show if notes. we can get show notes, I have no idea how I to make show notes. I have no idea what they are. Uh, people always refer to it, <laughs> and you go, where are these show notes? I have used multiple <laughs> podcast apps. I have never seen a show notes. I don't believe they exist. Really I think this is a, oh, no, no, this is urban folklore. I'm <laughs> utterly sure of it. Show notes don't exist. If uh, you know how to get them, please. Uh, by the time this comes them. out, I will have found out, <laughs> and I'm going to look like a total ninny. But it's oh, it's totally fine. It's it's not a problem. Anyway, anyway so whether you are going to read, uh, sorry, oh. whether you're going to read a topical <laughs> book, whether you're going to read a practical theological book like Humble Calvinism, or whether you're going to dive into historical works of non-fiction like Ignatius's letter. We just encourage you to read something this week. Absolutely. Maybe that's a letter. Maybe that's a newsletter. There's a really great one called The Raven's Writing Desk that oh, I would really recommend. Self-promo. Oh, self-promo <laughs> indeed. But whatever you read, go and read. And let us know. Because yeah. we love books as well. Um, so to next week, you can expect we're going to be talking about fiction. We're going to be talking about three books that I love to encourage you guys to read some fiction as well. I read a lot more fiction, you read a lot more non-fiction. And just a reminder, we're going to be releasing a podcast once a week. And you can find us on Twitter, uh, both the podcast itself and Twitter, and also both of us, even though I don't really post anything. Um, and yeah, you can find Adsum on- The desk, Raven's Writing The Raven's desk. Writing Desk. And just have a lovely day. Okay, so grace and peace. We've had a great time talking to you. We hope you've had a great time mm -hmm. listening to us. Don't just listen to us. Go and read something. Be blessed. Have a great week.